Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. It's Bob Price with the Bible Geek, or as the Bible Geek, or whatever preposition you uh, prefer, I suppose. Got a real good question this time uh, from Stephen M. Stiles. Whose scandalous birth is Matthew attempting to spin? It has been pointed out that the author of Matthew is not describing a miraculous birth, but is trying to put a positive spin on the fact that Jesus' biological father was not Joseph. For this reason, the Gospel of Matthew includes in Jesus' genealogy a number of other women who had scandals associated with their becoming pregnant or who appear to have had premarital sex in the case of Ruth. Accepting that this is indeed what Matthew's trying to do, whose birth is he explaining away? Or, put it another way, if Jesus is purely a mythical character, as I think he was, why does Matthew create the problem of him being illegitimate? If Matthew was responding to a pre-existing story, what is the Zitzim Laban, the, the context of origin of this story? Thanks, as always. Oh, boy, thank you for a good question. Stephen refers to the very fascinating book by uh, Jane Schaberg called The Illegitimacy of Jesus. Uh, she was teaching in uh, some seminary or college or university in Texas is when this book came out. And uh, came out one day uh, to go to her car and found it had been uh, riddled with uh, shotguns and stuff. Uh, she was lucky she wasn't in it at the time. Some folks just don't like the theme of a book that might as easily be called Jesus the Bastard. You know, if John Jakes had written it, it probably would be. Well, her thesis is fascinating. She splits up the book between uh, the infancy narratives of uh, Matthew and Luke, just as her mentor, Union Seminary, the late, great Raymond E. Brown, did. But uh, she took things in somewhat of a different direction than the erudite Father Brown, not the same one as Father Brown's murder mysteries. And um, she uh, began to wonder if either gospel really contained a virgin birth or whether we have been reading them through the lenses of, uh, of a virgin birth doctrine that did become current in the Christian church, but a little bit later than the writing of the Gospels. Uh, and, uh, I mean, she, she's saying, yeah, it's, it's the, the uh, borrowing of a Hellenistic hero myth. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, but the Gospel writers didn't borrow it. Now, there is a case to be made, I think a very good one, in the case of Luke, that simply involves textual criticism. Because uh, the uh, there's one place in chapter two, I think it is, where they, uh, where uh, Mary is referred to as the uh, the wife of Joseph rather than his betrothed, and in the uh, speech of the angel Gabriel to Mary, 
uh, there is an, an odd interruption of the, uh, the the song, as it is really a song lyric of the angel. And as you know, if you know your Luke, uh, there's several of these songs by Zechariah and uh, the, the Magnificat and so on. This is the only one where it gets interrupted, and it doesn't even make any sense. It's where the um, angel tells her that the Spirit of the Most High will overshadow you, and etc. And uh, you'll have a son, his name's Jesus, he'll hold the throne of his fathers. And Mary says, well, wait a minute, how can this be? I know not a man. I haven't had sex with a man. I, I can just imagine if this really happened, Gabriel stopping, stunned, and saying, I, you aren't. Uh, engaged, right? I mean, you, you you plan to have kids with your fiance, right? Uh, what do you mean? Uh, you know, this, uh, yeah, I know you don't know a man yet, but you're engaged to one, right? Uh, and, uh, oh, uh, yeah, come to think of it. It's just so stupid in, in the narrative that it sounds like someone is trying to introduce the doctrine of the virgin birth. And indeed, there are a couple of late old Latin manuscripts that lack the interruption. Uh, so I kind of think Luke originally didn't have it in there, to tell you the truth. Now, what about Matt? Uh, well, uh, but by the way, the argument I've just given based on text criticism, Schaeberg mentioned some of it, but that's not the way she goes. She uh, pretty much takes it all as read and comes up with some kind of a weird... Uh, reading of Luke that I just can't buy, and I think eventually Shaberg renounced it and said, "Yeah, it doesn't really work." But uh, but Stephen's asking about uh, Matthew anyway. That's the one where it sort of does work, and uh, and uh, again the uh, the thing is that uh, in the genealogy there are four Old Testament women mentioned, and all of them which uh, all of them having been viewed in a rather jaded light and this isn't necessarily in the original text but it's the way we know people had come to read them because we have targums and various you know bible paraphrases and things like that and mentions in commentaries by rabbis and such and here's what Shaberg points out it's an extremely clever argument that who are the four women well they're kind of the bad girls of the bible there's uh, there's uh, uh, Rahab the harlot, enough uh, said, right? According to Jewish lore, she eventually marries Joshua. It doesn't say that in the Bible, but they decide, okay, she did, and she's one of the ancestors of King David, hence of the Messiah. Uh, how's about uh, Tamar, who was the daughter-in-law of the patriarch Judah? Uh, she was supposed to, uh, through the law of leveret marriage, have a child uh, with her late husband's brother uh, and it would be considered her late husband's heir because that way he could keep the property in the same line of inheritance she didn't have a son with him so she says uh, let me uh, uh, I think it was Shayla was the original guy he says okay let me uh uh, have sex with Ur, your second born, and uh, the son will be considered that of uh, Shelah and me. Uh, but uh, he doesn't want to go through with it. 
and then about Onan, uh, he uh, pulls out before he can uh, impregnate her, uh, and uh, it has nothing to do with masturbation. So she's getting cheated left and right. Uh, Judah doesn't really care, so she decides to take justice into her own hands. She sets up a, a prostitute's tent on the side of the road and veils herself and uh, sees Judah coming along and says, Hey, big boy, like a date? It's not like me. And um, in, in, uh, he doesn't have any money on him. He says, Look, I'll come back and pay you tomorrow. In the meantime, I'll give you my signet ring so you'll know I'll come back. But the next day, she's gone. But uh, some months pass, she's a pregnant, and people are saying, oh, what's this? And they find out uh, she must have been playing the harlot. They didn't mind if you, had, if you went to prostitutes or if you were a prostitute. They just didn't want married women being prostitutes. And this was close enough. She was violating the uh, sanctity of her late husband's name. And, um, and so they're about to stone her. And uh, Judah says, look, no, no, I've I pieced this together. I know why she's doing it. She's in the right, not me. Uh, so uh, she's, uh, you know, I should have seen to it that she was able to have, have children with another one of my sons. Hmm, okay. And uh, in, now in some versions of that, again, there's several retellings of this um, in intertestamental times. And in some versions of it, God's voice is heard. It's not so much Judah that stops the execution. It's the voice of God from the sky uh, saying, wait, wait a minute, these two are innocent, or don't worry, this is of me, etc., etc. And uh, what uh, Sheberg is suggesting is that that's what happens at the, um, the in, in, uh, in in the uh, Gospel of Matthew when it is said that Jesus' conception is of the Holy Spirit it doesn't mean it's a miracle it means it's of the providence and will of God and yeah it could be that I mean that would be a sort of a typical paraphrase it was to say this is from God you might not want to drag the word God around you might want to say something like the Spirit that was often done well, that's what it means. And, uh, and again, Bathsheba, whose husband Uriah, the Hittite, David kills to get him out of the way, and he sleeps with um, Bathsheba and Solomon as the result. And who else we got? Ruth. Uh, she seeks out her kinsman Boaz. She's a widow. And uh, says she over at the wild and woolly harvest festival, when by the time he's passed out drunk, she uncovers him and lies down to sleep at his <coughs> feet. It's just a euphemism for a penis. And uh, so she seduces him, apparently. So here are all these biblical bad girls who nonetheless wind up in the genealogy of the Messiah. And Sheberg says, now, come on, why are they mentioned? Well, it's not like she's the only one that ever noticed that she readily admits that. And people have said, well, it must be because God has a special compassion for the bad girls and all. What, more than other sinners? Why only, of all of them, only these women? Uh, well, the other ones not have mothers. Uh, something odd's going on, and uh, maybe this is it. I, it's, I mean, they don't mention Sarah. They don't mention a whole lot of women. But these are mentioned, and they do have this in common, this immoral aspect. So the theory is 
that the uh, rumor was going around at the time of the writing of Matthew that um, Joseph, the father of Jesus, was not the actual biological father of Jesus. And um, that Matthew accepted this and said, well, yeah, but what of it? I mean, look at biblical history. It's happened at least four other times. Uh, we're going to first uh, get the, the heroine and then rough up the hero a little bit and have him condemned and, uh, uh, and, uh, but then vindicated uh, and the same thing here uh, with the uh, you know, the reputation and all that, that oh don't worry uh, well it's the same sort of thing only the, the female version she goes through the, uh, the abuse of being raped or seduced in either case Joseph by the laws that was understood at the time would have to have uh, have to put her aside. She'd be used goods, and he doesn't want to do that. And and um, what is the what does it mean when the angel says, "Look, what is in her is from the Holy Spirit"? Doesn't mean God miraculously begat her. It just means that uh, that um, that the that God was able to pull providentially good out of the jaws of bad. Uh, he had done it before with these four women. They were nothing to write home about. They had all done bad things, but from the unions, uh, somebody legitimate they had with the Jewish heroes of faith, <coughs> God was able to forge links toward the birth of Messiah, and maybe the birth of the Messiah himself was another uh, top level that extends throughout the book that builds up toward the same thing. And... Um, um, so, uh, makes a lot of sense, but, as you say, and uh, Schaeberg seems to me to be saying, well, of course we knew that uh, Jewish polemics said that Jesus was the fatherless, that bastard, as they call him, the momser. Uh, but where that come from, and conventionally Christians have said, well, it's a satire on the virgin birth, which, just like uh, the birth of uh, Romulus and Remus, to the, the uh, Vestal Virgin. She said, oh, don't worry, I wasn't fooling around with any of the customers of the clientele. No, the god Mars came and impregnated me. Oh, <laughs> really now? And uh, you're left to wonder what really happened. And uh, so that's the way Jews looked at this. Yeah, sure, that's right. Um, but uh, Schoenberg says, no, uh, it does. It is the satire of the virgin birth. The virgin birth was a Gentile import later on. Uh, the rabbis had it right. Uh, Jesus was born illegitimate, but Matthew is willing to say, yeah, that's right, that's right, he was. But God has redeemed such situations before. And so he has now. A very ingenious story, but how would it have even come about if there was no Jesus? Now, Shaver doesn't think that, but uh, Stephen, as I am, uh, likes to uh, ask how these theories fit together with uh, frameworks we already find useful for interpreting the gospel. So what would be the deal? Where would all this come from if there hadn't been a Jesus? I'll give you my little uh, quickie uh, theory. I, I hadn't really thought of this until you, you brought it up. Matthew has gone through various stages. It isn't just a single rewrite of Mark. Uh, it's been revised a few times. And all by the time we read our canonical Matthew, a lot of changes have been made. And let's look at the other end of the gospel for a moment. Uh, what's happened there? Well, in uh, in Mark, the original Matthew used, there was a young man who 
told the women that came to the tomb and found it empty that um, Jesus had risen and uh, that uh, you know, they laid him in his tomb but he's not there anymore and you go tell his disciples to go meet him in Galilee for further instructions and they don't do it they're too terrified so they never get the message and that's that the end of the gospel and people began later to add on to that not least Matthew and Luke and I said that's no good we got to have some resurrection appearances and the ones they give do not match Matthew's occurring in around Jerusalem Paul's uh, I'm sorry uh, uh, Matthew's uh, uh, two of them uh, Jesus appears to these women as they're about to go about to go back home and, and uh, he appears to the twelve or the eleven actually on the mountain on which the Sermon on the Mount had earlier been given well alright so he's added a resurrection scene or two where Mark didn't have them but that was the end of it because uh, some of the Jews with whom he debated had a rejoinder and said oh yeah 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 right empty tomb sure no, have it your way no doubt it was empty because your guys stole the body now let's face it what's easier to believe and the response of Matthew for instance was to insist oh no uh, they didn't steal the body and uh, let me retell the story to make that clear okay some of the scribes went to Pilate saying you know what if his no good disciples were to steal the body and then claim you know some of the dead boy what a mess that would be your majesty could you spare some uh, some guards to put around the tomb and they do and Jesus gets there and kicks butt where the angel does and they're so shocked they uh, faint dead away and yet when they tell this to the Sanhedrin they say well we'll pay you and we'll bribe the governor not to harm you and if anybody says what happened over there you just tell them well uh, even though we were asleep when it happened um, an angel came and released them and all that oh, you, you know that despite being asleep do you so what's happened is Jewish opponents introduced the idea that the empty tomb was the result of the disciples stealing the body. And to refute that, Matthew wheels in this big structure uh, that, um, in order to refute that by adding new circumstances that weren't originally in the story. Now, I think that's what he's done on the other end of the gospel, too. My guess is that uh, Matthew has inherited from his scribal community there in Antioch the hypothetical genealogy of Jesus from Matthew. And their belief was that he was the Messiah cause in good standing because he had the right pedigree. He was descended from Matthew. Somewhere along the line, uh, the, uh, the uh, virgin birth doctrine comes up. Uh, after all, Antioch is bilingual, bicultural, a lot of pagans in that church, and they do Jesus the favor of attributing to him this, um, this, uh, this glorification of not having had a human father. They don't give a damn about messianic credentials. Who cares? But Matthew does, and uh, whoever he is, some Jewish Christian, subscribe. And so uh, this, he is afraid that this is going to invite ridicule from his fellow Jews, since it is so obviously a piece of pagan mythology, and it does, he's right. And they say, oh, ho, ho, so Jesus wasn't Joseph's son. You admit that, do you? That, that is a heck of a blow. And, uh, you can reply, oh, but he was Jesus. Jesus was the adoptive son of Joseph. Yeah, that would have really flown. That would have really convinced Jews. 
uh, and it was literally descended from get out of here. So that that's a big problem. It remains one today for apologists. So uh, once it's been introduced, poor Matthew's got to make the best of it. It's already shot to hell the genealogy's relevance, but he can't really do anything about that. But it's obvious to him that it is pagan, just like the Ebionites who followed in his footsteps and said, What? What? Virgin birth? You're kidding yourself. Only whereas they just rejected the whole thing. Uh, Matthew has it as part of his community's sacred text, and so all he can do is to add yet another embellishment where he rationalizes it. He says, well, uh, all right, Joseph wasn't his father, I'll grant you that, but there's none of this baloney with a virgin birth, because we know what that would really mean. It would mean that Jehovah came down like Zeus, like, uh, Zeus used to do an impregnated man. No, nah, we don't want that. This stinks, but it's better than that if we say that she was seduced or raped and that uh, nonetheless God who loves the downtrodden was willing to work with that because if you look close enough you can find roughly analogous things in the history of the Messianic genealogy so let's go back and add those four women in to kind of prep the reader for this so I realize that is completely hypothetical but it sure does kind of fit the way Matthew does this uh, sort of circumstantial ad hominem thing. Oh yeah, you say that? Well, I say this. You've added that, I'm adding this to disqualify it. Uh, and uh, it seems to me that uh, rather than just go with the virgin birth, which he probably didn't like because it ruined the genealogy, he just said, well, I'm, I'm stuck with it, but let me at least get rid of that pagan mythology and say that Jesus had an uphill battle against being a bastard. But so what? God deals with the downtrodden. I hope that's somewhat clear. I wouldn't bet my life on it. But that's what I would think. That's probably the best way of uh, reconciling it. You see, uh, by the time Matthew wrote, he certainly had no idea that there had been no historical Jesus. Jesus has been mythologized already. And uh, I should say that. I, I should say... Uh, he has been historicized already by the rewriting of Old Testament texts and their application to him, so as to give him a life on earth, so similar to that of the biblical heroes. And uh, so that's what I'm guessing uh, we're, we're, we're dealing with there. By the time Matthew's there, you've got a more or less historicized Jesus, uh, and, and he's got to decide, well, he really lived. How do I take what happened to him? Uh, and and Shaberg would have the uh, the end result there. So hope that's good enough to chew on. Great question. See you next time on the Bible Geek. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.